Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A Scottish football podcast that isn't obsessed with just two teams. Niche nonsense. Or surprisingly brilliant. You decide. The Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. The cult Scottish football podcast now adapted into a hit TV show. Search the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast on your chosen podcast player now. And welcome. It's the Chels. It's the Chels at the end of the penultimate week of the season. Or is it? Or do we get extra weeks now? I think we do. Wow. It's just it's just been incredible, this, this odd week that we've just had. Two weeks to go, and then a small matter of turning over Bayern in the Champions League. Cup double, anyone? Oh, dear me. Only Chelsea can play so poorly and then so well in a matter of a few days. What a few days. Andy, Andy, how are you, mate? I'm all right. Why do you keep saying good evening? It's not in the evening. It hasn't been for weeks. <laughs> yeah, but it goes out in the evening, doesn't it? Right. It never gets uploaded until the evening. So, okay, yeah, good morning. Doesn't good afternoon. Doesn't make any sense, Kerry. A bit like you not having the same score at the predictions. Doesn't make any sense. Well, why? Because, it, but it, it does come out. Most people will listen to this on Monday evening. or On their commute, on their way to work. Do you think? Uh, well... I think well I mean these days I don't know because we live in strange times but research suggests that most people listen to podcasts on their way to work that's their that's when they tend to listen I may be wrong I mean it would be actually be interesting if people were to you know sort of email us or or uh, contact us via social media and tell us when they do listen to it because I might be completely wrong but I'm just going on what I've read about you know people's podcasting habits that people tend to do it on the tube or the train or when they're driving into work Okay, so maybe we should just say hello and welcome to the Chels. 
That might be another well, maybe. way. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. It's just weird because it's 10 a.m. It's not the evening, so. <laughs> oh, well, it's evening for someone somewhere in this world. Somewhere, somewhere in, it's the evening, I accept that. Yeah. <laughs> so, come on. Let me know, how's your week been? Away from football, you've, you've been... Away from home, actually. I had a holiday. I went to, um, I went to Norfolk for 10 days, which was nice. I've got a, got a place up there, and I haven't been there since lockdown because I've been a good boy and respected uh, the travel limitations. But I went up there and saw some friends and did some stuff. And, yeah, it's been lovely. Actually, the weather wasn't amazing, but it didn't really matter. It was just nice to get some different scenery and... Think about East Anglia. Well, you know East Anglia. The skies are huge, so you can because it's quite flat. So you can go for walks on the salt marshes or on the beach and just feel a sense of space that I haven't felt for a long time. I think that was that was great. I really enjoyed it. So, did you find because also it, it's it's separate, it, a bit like where we are here. It's separate from, I guess, the more urban reality of the other side of your life. Um, did you find you sort of forgot about the whole um, coronavirus a little bit up there? Or was it constant reminders while you were there? No, I wouldn't say constant reminders because I didn't go out that much apart from to go for walks in fairly remote places. So, no, there weren't constant reminders. In fact, it was quite nice to be able to forget about it a little bit. I went to a the local pub did a sort of food market, a street food market, and that was pretty busy. It was like a, a local fate, but people were pretty good about social distancing. People were wearing masks in the local shop, so there were reminders, but it didn't feel as full-on as where I live my main life. So it was nice to get a break from it, to be honest. Yeah, no. I, I, I know I, a lot of people are going, going you, you, don't fancy, you don't fancy flying. I don't Because I had a holiday booked in Corfu, but I cancelled it because... I just didn't fancy getting on a plane and, you know, going to a foreign country and all that stuff, even though I'm, I yearn to go to somewhere with blue seas and sand and, you know, hot sun. I, I, you know, I, I would love, love to do that. And I know a lot of people are, but I just don't feel comfortable doing it at the moment. Do you? Uh, no, I don't. You know, there's there's talk of us continuing a job that we were about to start before lockdown which which is in Sweden but I, I don't know I just don't I don't feel comfortable yet because I think we're kind of in the middle of something whether it's a lull whether it really is you know taken care of nobody quite knows so I'm, I'm kind of apprehensive I think is probably the best way after especially after all this time that we've all put into doing the right thing the majority of us you know you think do you want to blow it all by you know just going a bit too early on something and so yeah I, i'm with you i i'm just i think most people have gone too early mate i mean there's there i think most people have decided that they can you know relax a lot of the lockdown regulations it's funny actually because on saturday i played my first cricket match of the season the league cricket match season and it started it's it's been allowed to continue with lots of guidelines and lots of restrictions so the changing rooms aren't open so you have to come you know already dressed in your cricket whites or change on the boundary um there's no teas which is a kind of big tradition in cricket matches you have to bring your own food and, and water every six overs or 20 minutes you have to clean the ball and everybody has to sanitize their hands there's all these different restrictions and what's interesting is people seem to have adapted to it it really quite well I mean there were a few times when people inadvertently put saliva on the ball or you know ran out and hugged someone when they'd done something good on the pitch you know but generally people were very good about it so 
it is interesting to play a sport, a team sport, after all this time, and you know, with all, with all the restrictions. But you do get a sense that people are sort of slightly moving towards a sense of normality and re- and and you know, and, and normalcy now because they just they just they just can't do the lockdown thing anymore. No, well, I, that's understandable in a lot of ways. And for for whatever goes on at this moment in time, it does look as th- though things have quietened down. And that's where I think the concern is. I think you're right. I think go too early, suddenly it comes back with a vengeance. And Well, I've got a 17-year-old daughter, and, and she's been amazing throughout lockdown. I have to say, you know, full credit to her. She's She's been really good. She hasn't complained. She's She's stayed in, essentially. And, you know, when she has interacted with people it's been socially she's been really good you know and it must be very very difficult as a teenager that FOMO you know fear of missing out and 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 all that stuff going on but I have to say now her and her friends have taken to congregating in the local park en masse and you know with a bottle of like we did when we were teenagers you know with a bottle of vodka and you know all that stuff that teenagers do and there is a set I mean you know she's 17 she's not a child um and you know there is that sense that the youngsters, particularly, have decided that it's over. They just not are just not observing it at all at the moment. So it, it is interesting how different sections of generations and societies are approaching it. You know, us us oldies. I'm 54. I mean, you're significantly older than me. Um, <laughs> but I think we're we're still we still have a sense of nervousness about it. But the younger generation just don't at all. They just don't. No, well, I, I also think that the problem there is that the younger generations have been led to believe they're probably impervious to it. So there is a case of actually the only thing you can tell them is that it's not about them getting it. It's about them passing it on. But yeah. as as we as we know, nothing is certain because this is such a new disease. We have no idea of long term effects. You know, would you want to go and sit in a football stadium at the moment? No. No, absolutely no, not, either. and th- and not in October or November either. I know because that, that that's when they're thinking of trialing it, aren't they? Well, that's what I was going to say to you. I mean, how how does that work? Okay, how many season ticket holders say do Chelsea have? It's a, it's know. a high it's a high proportion of the ground. I think um, I think it's twenty well, it's odd what, thousand. A, yeah, I'm going to say I think it's about twenty thousand. Mm. So that's so, half, almost half. So if we're looking at possible ways of letting in an amount of people how do they decide that every third person goes i i mean it could be absolute carnage and chaos um i think you know well you know as well that you know once they're in there people aren't going to be sitting three seats apart they're going to stand with their friends you know and, and especially younger fans as we've discussed because they think they're bulletproof and because they think that it doesn't really apply to them i genuinely think that as soon as the whistle goes everybody will stand together yeah because you know so so however it's it's all very well saying to players and officials and staff in an empty football stadium you have to socially distance but when you've got like let's say even a third of the stadium full it's going to be very difficult difficult to police that so I don't know how they're going to make it work. I'm fascinated how they think they're going to make that work. Well, interestingly, when you're talking about people sitting together, I mean, we'll talk about the Wembley game later, but I don't know if you saw yesterday, they, they cut to the odd people who were in the ground and they, you know, and everyone's distanced by, by several seats and, and what have you. They cut to a shot of Gareth Southgate and he, had, he was on his own, except for one person right behind him. 
And I couldn't work that out. I went, how does that work? You know, and, and, and this is kind of the way it's going to be because, look, we can't even police the ground properly when it's a normal day. I mean, you know, vis-a-vis Matthew Harding lower, everyone standing up when nobody's meant to. They can't persuade anyone to sit down these days. So how are they going to, if if there's 10,000 people in there, how are they going to control them when they all come together as, as one unit? Because you're right, yeah. that's what will happen. But also, the, you know, coming into the ground, if tens of thousands of people are going to come into the ground, the turnstiles, the one-way systems, the, presumably there won't be any um, bars open, but the toilets will be in you. I mean, it, you know, good luck to the person who has to figure all this out. Yeah. It's going to be really, really interesting to see how they do it. I won't be partaking in it. I know that for a fact. So Yeah, no, I, I'm, yeah, I'm so. with you. I'm with you. I, I, think, it, I think it's... Even though, you know, somebody was saying, <clears throat> excuse me, somebody was saying the other day that it's months away. Well, it's not really. Look how quick this year is going. You know, it's, it's just around the corner because uh, by, the, by the time this season's finished, we'll have a very short break before next season starts, I think. Don't you? I do, and and, I, and again, I keep coming back to the fact that I work with lo- lots of live music venues, and they're not they're not really. I mean, even though the government has said we can do socially distanced live music gigs from August the first, most of the live music venues I'm speaking to are saying that's just not possible. It's not possible to put in place the uh, restrictions and the deep cleaning and all the other regulations that have to be in place to do that. Um, and also as well they can't make money out of socially distanced gigs you know there's a, there's a capacity issue if you're going to staff it and put it on and 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 there's still a load of fixed costs you know if you're only allowed a third of the people in there that's that's not money making particularly if you are restricted on the wet sales the beer sales so there's all these issues the government i think are basically trying to to put some good news out there but they haven't really thought it through and yeah. i think the same's going to be same for, for for other mass events like sports events yeah, and actually, I mean, what size venues are you kind of talking about at this moment? Smaller venues. So, Smaller venues. So, so you know, for up to 500 <clears throat> cap. So if up to 500 cap venues are finding it difficult, how the hell do 40,000 gra- 40, seater stadiums cope with it? It's exponentially huger than, than that, and it's already causing a problem at a low level. So... I, I I just get the feeling we're in a, in the moment where the buck is being passed. Suddenly everything is down to local councils. Suddenly it's down to... I think there is no responsibility now being taken by the government for what is happening now and what's about to happen. I think... The well, without going down that rabbit hole yeah, too much, okay. there, is, there, is a, there is an argument to say... And, you know, I'm just putting this on the table. I'm not saying this with any kind of political spin, but this an argument that I've heard a lot recently is that part of the communications is to kind of almost shift the onus onto the public and basically say, well, it's your fault. You know, we'll, we'll put so much mixed messaging out there that when the reckoning comes at the end of all this, they'll be able to turn around and say, well, the public, it was the public's fault. Yeah, you know, because they, we, they they weren't able to to understand the guidance that we gave them. So you know, I'm not one for conspiracy theories, but there is some you know the, the, I, the, I can see some truth in that. Is is all I'll say. I'll leave it there. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well, I guess you know, let, let's get on to the the finer side of life, football. Um, now, we were a bit trepidatious dare i say at the beginning of the week weren't we we thought norwich would be easy um man united may be a bit trickier 
What a strange week. Did, did you... How did you feel the, the evening of the Norwich game? Did you think this will be a nice, relaxed time? And how did you view the whole of the, this coming week coming, the, the, the one that we've just had? Well, I was in Norfolk, obviously, so I was only 10 miles from Norwich. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, obviously the area that I'm in is a big Norwich area, and, and the people I was speaking to would just thought they were going to get absolutely smashed. Um, so they, they weren't confident at all. I was, like everybody else, very confident because they are, you know, they are adrift at the bottom. You know, they've only scored 21 points this season out of 36 games. That's nine points less than Villa, who are the, the next team above them. There was no reason to think that we shouldn't go in there and eviscerate them like we did in the, you know, early on in the season when we played them at Carrow Road. So, yes, I was very, very confident. And as for Man United, I thought we'd lose. There's no two ways about it. I honestly thought the form they're in, um, the firepower they have moving forward, I thought they'd have too much for us. So, yes, a real topsy-turvy week, really. Yeah, very strange. So, yeah, the Norwich game, were, were you surprised at the team he picked? Nah, I think it was a fairly, you know, fairly um, obvious team to pick. I mean, we had... As Piliqueta um, at right back with Rudy Gazuma and Alonso. Uh, Loftus Cheek getting a start was interesting. Uh, Jorginho and Kovacic uh, didn't think see anything too controversial in that. And then William Giroud Pulisic seems to be his preferred front three at the moment. So, no, no real surprises in there apart from perhaps Loftus Cheek. Yeah. Um, and actually, I would say one thing about Ruben is. I think Frank has really handled him coming back in a in a, a a good fashion. He's not given him too much time. He's given him the odd game here and there. He's been nursing him back. And we're starting to see signs of, of the player that sadly got injured when he did. Um, I, I have high hopes that Ruben is going to become a real important part of this squad again next year. How, how do you feel about Ruben? Not convinced. No? No. I'm not convinced. I, 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 first of all, I don't understand quite where he plays and what he does, and I don't think he does, and I don't think the management do. I still think after these all these years, we still haven't figured out how best to utilise Loftus-Cheek. I think he just is inconsistent. Um, I don't think he's proved himself aggressive enough or physical enough. Um, I think he's got a good touch, but I don't think he's got a great touch. I don't know, Kerry. I don't know. I hope he does. I, I'm not. I'm not convinced. Do you think? Uh, and we'll why talk- do you think? Why? Why do you think he has a future? Uh, because I think he can. There's only one other person in in the team that can run through players like he can when he's it. When has he's- he run through players though? He's, when have you seen him run through players in Disney, you know, since no, he's come back from injury? Th- that's what I'm saying. Since he's come back, we've not. He's played very safe. He's been passing it sideways and back. We saw little glimpses of it against Norwich, and we saw little glimpses of it against United. He's starting to look as though he might have more confidence. And I think the injuries he's had through his career have meant that he's doesn't he's not fully trusting his body and I think mentally that's a really hard place to be as a kind of footballer that I think can take a game by the scruff of the neck that's why I'm saying I'm hoping next season will be a season where he can prove to be a valuable member of the squad this is all about getting some minutes whenever he can this season see out the season and then then we'll see what Frank does in the in the summer 
Um, I, I'm not. I'm not wholly negative about him. I, as I say, I just remain to be convinced. Yeah. Because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it throughout his career. To be honest, <clears throat> I've seen flashes and bursts and potential bits, but I've never seen him string games together in a way that makes me think, here's a player that can play at the elite level week in, week out. Well, do you know, I I think if ever there were two players who really didn't need to get the injuries they got when they got them, it was Loftus-Cheek and Hudson-Odoi. I mean, Mm. maybe we'll come on to talk about Callum and Wembley a little bit later. Um, But I think... You look at Callum, he had the world at his feet and was starting to show real glimpses of what he could do. Then he gets that injury. And I think out well, of the two of them... Are we talking about him now or later? Well, I don't know. I've started talking about him now. <laughs> you have. <laughs> well, because it actually makes me think about it. And it's quite an interesting comparison. Well, no, we can talk about him. I think, yeah. I think he is. I think you can put them... You're quite right. We can put them both in the same category. Here are two players of enormous potential. Um, uh, you know, who are very highly thought of youth products at the at the club, who we were all desperate to come through and establish themselves in the team, who got serious injuries, who were out for a long time, a critical period of their development, who've come back and looked half the player they were when they went when before they went away. So there is an argument to say, well, you know, there is a long, slow rehabilitation process, and and do we back the players? throughout that and hope that they can regain some of that potential or regain some of that that um form that they had before they before they got injured um or or are we saying actually we remain to be convinced and actually perhaps they weren't that good to start with uh that i'm not sure about but one thing i am sure about is they both are at a crucial moment of their careers these were the two players <laughs> <clears throat> who were tipped to come through from from the academies, who were the first over the line, as it were, and now they're they're actually being superseded by about five or six other players. It it's extraordinary what can happen in a footballer's life. It is, and I, I, you know this is the problem I have particularly with Loftus Cheek is if we do, for example, as seems to be the case, sign Kai Havertz and Kante gets fit. And then we also have Mason Mount. And then in that midfield, there's Ross Barkley and there's Billy Gilmore. And there's all these other players. I can't see Loftus-Cheek being anywhere near the starting lineup. That at the moment. I may be wrong. But, you know, when you look at all those players, I think there's better options than him. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think the best hope that those two have is to become members of the squad. I'm with you. I don't think... They are going to be first-team players. I, I, as in, I must pick him this week. They're going to have to do so much to fight to get into that squad, into that team. So are team. you contradicting yourself a little bit? <clears throat> no, I'm not at all. I'm saying With that Loftus I think... Cheek. No, I think, I think he will become an important part of the squad if he allows himself to. It depends whether he goes, look, I'm now 24. I've had so many injuries... I'm not going to be first pick in this side yet, and it's going to take me a lot of work to get into it. Maybe I need to move on where he can go to another club and be playing every week. Because until he's proven, which I think will only happen through either injuries or a number of great coming off the bench performances, he is not going to be first pick. I agree with you. I think his fight at the moment is to even get on the bench. Yeah. 
when he's there, maybe he can change things, but he's not going to be first pick. No, no. I, I do. Look, I, all I'm saying is, mate. You know, you, if you say I, th- you, I thought you were basically saying he's got a bright future at Chelsea. I'm not convinced he has. No, that, I, that's what I'm saying. <clears throat> no, I think if we can find the Ruben Loftus cheek that we know could possibly be in there, he will have a bright future. But the Ruben Loftus cheek that we've seen in the last however many weeks is mm. not. It, 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 I, I'm concerned. I really want yeah. him to come through because I think he's a, he's one of the good guys. I think he's well, got. Again, a, and, uh, yeah, and you look at Callum Hudson Odoi. It's all in his head. He, he just doesn't look mentally there. He doesn't. He doesn't have a <clears throat> swagger about him. He doesn't have a. Uh, it doesn't look like he's got any kind of killer instinct. He doesn't have any confidence every time he's on the ball. That dropping the shoulder thing doesn't come off. He's making poor decisions. And you wonder, you need to get yourself, met. you know, to be an elite player, it's all in your head. Technique, you kind of assume he's got the technique. You assume that he's good enough on the ball. But the, to play at that level, you've got to be mentally strong. And this is what I mean about week after week after week. It's all right being able to do it, you know, the occasional flash against a, a tiring team when you come on as a substitute in an FA Cup midweek tie. But can you do it in the Premier League week after week after week? And you've got to be mentally strong to do that. And this is where my doubts over both Loftus-Cheek and, and Hudson-Odoi come in. I'm not saying they won't. I'm not, I'm not saying that they, they're, they're not going to go on and become legends at the club. They may very well do. But at this particular moment, looking at both those players, I have doubts. Yeah, I, my, my thing with uh, Callum is that I believe that he's got the mental toughness you're talking about. But I don't think he's got the mental toughness and the belief at the moment that he's fully over his injury. He reminds me of a player that that we used to have who got injured and never really came back properly in Damien Duff. You know, when Duff did his shoulder badly, he never came back properly. Um, and I get the feeling that Callum needs an awful lot of work with, with specialists, psychologists, whatever, to get him over this injury and say... Your body is going to be strong enough. Your body is going to survive. Because I think all the things you're talking about, like the dropping the shoulder, they were natural before. I think he's trying to overthink it. And I think that's a concern. Because if I, you- I just don't, I, I don't think he <clears throat> believes in himself, Kerry. I think that he was built up so much during the whole uh, re-signing of the contract saga, you know, the potentially going to Bayern Munich saga. I think his head was so uh, inflated <laughs> during that period that he's come back and, you know, with the injury, I, I think he's lost, lost a lot of self-belief. And if he hasn't got that, he's a busted flush. Yeah, but I think it's born out of the injury as well. Yeah, no, um, I agree. That's yeah. what I said. I just yeah. think when he, you know, when, you know, since he's come back from the injury, it's, it's been an issue. Yeah. And he's not getting much time because too many players have superseded him in the pecking they order. Have. You're not going to put him in ahead of Pulisic at the moment. You're not going to put him in ahead of Willian. So who are you going to put him in ahead of? You're not. No, I, not. I totally agree. So where's he's, he going to get minutes? He's going to get minutes here and there. And when he comes on, he's, look, he's looking unimpressive. He looks really unimpressive against United. Gave away a penalty and basically shanked the ball, is what he did when he came on against United. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and that's what, what I think the concern is. How does Frank deal with that? He may send Hudson Odoi out for a year. I, th- I think if anyone, I don't think that would be a terrible idea. No, I don't. I either. don't think that would be a terrible idea. I think going away to a decent club where he's going to play football, not some FC twenty sit on the bench for nine months. But if he's going to go to play in Italy or Germany and actually play 
and develop that confidence back and then come back a fitter, stronger, mentally um, robust player, then I think I don't think that would be a bad idea at all. No, I agree. I agree. So, yeah, OK, back to the Norwich game, which we're managing to avoid talking about because it, well, it, it was all right, wasn't it? It, it, it was, was all right. It, 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 it was, was just, it, you know, we, we, it was frustrating. That's what it was. It wasn't that like we were ever going to lose that game. You know, they, they never had a shot on target. The problem we had was, was our lack of finishing. We should have been four or five games. Oh. You know, it, four, or four or five goals uh, up, sorry. Yeah. No, no, we should have. You know, it was profligate. And it, it almost had that feeling of we believed that we were going to win so I actually didn't bother to do enough to win in certain ways. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were awful. I mean, it's the most awful I've ever seen a side that only lost 1-0, I'd say. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm struggling to even find the real positive points other than we got three points out of it. Look, we had 22 shots. We had, you know, um, only two of those on target, you know. Uh, I think that Giroud's finishing was all over the place um and he said himself that the players felt under a lot of pressure that they were maybe overthinking it that he was snatching at things you know he was very self-reflective about his own performance but you know he got he got his goal so he did his job um we we should have been a lot more ruthless in front of goal and we weren't um it wasn't a bad performance if we'd have put two of those chances away and won three now everybody would turn around and say that was a perfectly fine professional performance it was frustrating in the sense that we didn't, you know, we didn't, we just didn't, we didn't kill them off. But that's the first time we've won five consecutive home Premier League games since 2017. You know, so there are positives. For sure. Um, we didn't, you know, we, it, defensively we were very strong. They, they didn't, they didn't really threaten at all. Um, you know, there was, there was things to take out of it, you know, and the three points mainly. But, but, you know, I said on social media, it was three points. There's nothing else that needs to be said about that game. It was just a job that needed to be done next, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I've missed that. I've missed the Andy Saunders cry of next from the end of a game because that, that's absolutely it. Because in the record books now, it's just down as a W. Game over gone you're right we've, we've got other things going on as well so you know we've been we've been very lucky with you know the results that have gone for us in other games so you know we we got what we needed out of that and we're in a stronger position now well, what's your take on Giroud are you amazed at the turnaround in him and what he's done for the side okay he misses an amount but He's just always in there sniffing for it and hunting it down. And, and he's seen off Tammy Abraham, hasn't he, for the while? Well, I think the system that we're playing really suits him. The fact that we're playing with a high press, that we're not sitting back. I mean, he's no good where he has to stand on the halfway line and run to the ball in front of him because he just doesn't have the pace. He's no good yeah. at running the channels. Um, Tammy's much better at that. If we're playing a higher line and we're playing in and around the opposition box then he's perfect. I mean, nobody does what he does in world football, as far as I can see. If you play the ball into him, he can lay off at ease. He's so physical. He's so good in the air. We said, I think, last week or the week before, he's the only elite header in our team, um, even though he was a little bit remiss against Norwich. Um, he still scored a headed goal. And in fact, 
Um, to back that up, since his debut, his league, Premier League debut in 2012, he scored 31 headed goals, which is five more than any other player <laughs> in that time. Amazing. I mean, he is deadly in that situation. And so, yes, I'm not, I'm not amazed because we saw him smash it in the Europa League last year. We saw him, um, you know, play extremely well, but he, he only plays well when the ball is in the penalty area, in their penalty area a lot or in and around their box a lot. He's no good if he has to run onto it. So, you know, we have to figure that out. And I think in Pulisic and William, he's got two players that are brilliant for him. Okay, you, you mentioned another player there, William. How sad will you be to see him go if he goes? And if he goes, I think he's going to stay. I had that. That's that's exactly how I feel. I think this is all a smokescreen everywhere. I, I think they'll find he a way. He said in a Brazilian interview that he'll sign the contract tomorrow if, if you know if they put it in front of him. Yeah, but he still wants three years, doesn't he? Or do I, I mean, well, it's all speculation. Uh, you know, it's all speculative. We don't know that. But I get the sense that he wants to stay, that his family are happy here, that he feels he could win things in this new team, that he feels loved, and that's very important for a player of his age. I think that he'll get games. I think he's been brilliant, in, the, in particularly in the lockdown period. I think he's been absolutely brilliant. And um, one of the key reasons, if we do go on and, and, and win a trophy and, and achieve Champions League football, he'll be a major, major part in it. So I hope he does say. And if he does leave, I'll be very sad. I think he's been brilliant. I was never a William hater like so many Chelsea fans. I think he has his flaws. I don't think... Don't think he's a very. I don't think he's a top top player because I have. I've always had question marks over his final product, in and around the box, whether it's with assists or goals. I think he should have had thirty, forty more goals in his Chelsea career. Um, but I do think he's been a brilliant servant for the club. I think he's a consistent week in week out player. I think that he's a big game player. I think he's mature. I think he's a great leader by example. I think he brings energy to the team. There's so many positives about William that yes, I'd be devastated to see him go. And he's got one of the best songs ever. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I just want... I would like him to stay. There's no doubt about it. I would miss him. He'd be one of those players... You, and you would really actually feel a bit funny if you saw him in a, another Premier League shirt. Yeah. Very rarely I feel like that, but he would be one of them because I think he's become such a Chelsea player, such a, you know, he looks right in blue, you know, <laughs> he's he's one of those. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I hope he stays because I also think he can become the, the elder statesman in the squad, if you know what I mean, him and, and Giroud that can pass on information and help the youngsters come through. He feels like he's one of those players who actually cares about the people around him. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm fully with you. All right. Well, look, um, we should go to the break. And then when we come back, we'll hear from, uh, well, Nizar Kinsella, who, who was at Wembley. And um, we'll get our first, worst and best from Sean O'Connor. But right now, it's time for the break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. 
Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back. So it was a march up Wembley Way uh, <laughs> this weekend. Um, how nervous were you about this one? I mean, you said you expected us to lose, but once you were sat down in front of the TV, were you nervous? Well, it's interesting because my whole focus has been on these next two games against Liverpool and Wolves, um, because I think that's the that's the absolute test of our season is whether we can achieve a top four finish and 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 play in the Champions League next year. So really, I haven't even allowed myself to think about the cup. It, to me, it's just been a bit of a distraction. It's all about top four. So I was fully prepared to go, Matt, don't really care. It's not something that's, you know, really in my, you know, sort of vision at the moment. I'm thinking about Liverpool. I'm thinking about Wolves. Um, and, you know, Man United are really good, and I doubt we can beat them because they're in a massive run of form at the moment. So I will watch it out of duty more than anything. I won't be devastated if we lose. We'll move on, and then, you know, next week it'll all be about next week. So so that was my mindset going into it, and I genuinely thought they'd have too much for us. But, well, you know, it was phenomenal i found myself massively invested in the game now i want to win the cup yeah well but that's semis <laughs> that's semi-finals isn't it if you win them it's the best tournament in the world you lose them you go yeah whatever <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it is the fa cup i mean i've cup. always loved the fa cup i mean yeah. i always had this conversation with my son you know my son is of a younger generation he's 28 and he's like the fa cup nobody really cares about the fa cup you know it's all right it's a bit of fun you know it's a trophy but he doesn't have that deep passion that people of our generation have for it because it was so important for us growing up it was such a major event and competition um for us when we were growing up but it's not for that generation they, they just see it as a you know just just something to you know to to you know to add on in the season they're all about the premier league and the champions league so you know i had that conversation saying that you know i love the fa cup i always have done um and yet this year i'm i'm not really thinking about it at all I tell you, my, I think the main problem with the FA Cup is you don't get the great upsets in finals anymore. That so often it's the big teams that make it to the final. You know, that was the magic of the Cup. Now you might get the odd result in the third or fourth round. But on the whole, it's usually four of the biggest clubs that get to the semis. And well, we th- had, didn't we have Wigan win it? And then you had um, Portsmouth win it. So we've had a few recently. Yeah, I mean, they're not that recent, but yeah, okay, fair enough. But I, I just think there's not. You know, enough. I mean, not, not, not. It's not. They're not ancient history, are they? No. No, I so, guess. I mean, not. I, you do get you do get a few coming through, but you're right. The might and the power and the, you know, the gulf in in spending and squads that the Premier League giants have make it very difficult for that for that to happen these days. I do I do accept that. It's funny. I, I'd agree with you. I was kind of thinking, well, you know, it's kind of the FA Cup semi-final. Um, but, you know, what does it really mean? Especially when you see the match of the day crew in an empty stadium with their own balcony. And you think, yeah, it's, mm. it's, I'm not sure this is real. But I suddenly got really invested in everything 
when I found myself cheering for Tottenham goals, which I have to say I felt very dirty doing, but I'm sure there was an awful lot of Chelsea fans who went, come on, uh, with each Tottenham goal. There was a few people going, oh, I can't, I can't support Tottenham (laughs) under any circumstances. Yes, you can. Were you you an idiot then? Because if you're basically saying my hatred for Tottenham trumps my love for Chelsea, then you're an idiot. I'm sorry. (laughs) But, you know, it's all about Champions League football. And if Tottenham can beat Leicester, that's a massive result for us. So stop being an idiot. That's all I'm going to say about that. (laughs) Let's move on. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It feels horrible, well, right. but right, very though, I mean, yeah, of course you feel dirty. Nobody, nobody wants to cheer for Tottenham or Liverpool <laughs> or Arsenal or United. But on occasions, it's just pragmatic. You know, you've got... They have to win to benefit us. And what's brilliant about that Tottenham thing is it could see us into the Champions League, but they win nothing. What's not to like about that? That's the perfect scenario. <laughs> brilliant. Well, I'm going to get my breath back after that because that just perfectly sums it up. Let's go over to Naz Kinsella, who was at Wembley uh, for the semi-final and has this little report for us. And for those of you that don't know, Mr. Nizar Kinsella is Goal.com's Chelsea correspondent and he reports for the Chelsea. Hi guys, this is Nizar Kinsella, Goal's Chelsea correspondent reporting for the Chelsea. Uh, I was at the FA Cup semi-final at um, Wembley Stadium uh, and yeah, it was a big game without uh, fans there so it's a still a strange experience especially to do it in that stadium now um, I've been there a lot because Chelsea get there a lot um, and yeah, it's always a big event, it always feels like a big event but really, you know, you get into a cavernous, vast stadium and then there's just uh, you know, just you guys in there just some journalists, just some officials and uh, the players themselves and, and that's it and it's just a strange, strange one. But, yeah, obviously the game meant a lot to a lot of people and it was a, a really positive win. But, yeah, going into the into the game, you know, um, you had the kind of big game vibe. There's a, I was appearing on, uh, you know, a couple of radio shows and, and the, you know, uh, did an interview with Dennis Wise before the match and stuff like that. And then, uh, you know, that, that it all like sort of geared up and then you go in there and, and then it's kind of a damp squib from that regard. But it certainly wasn't with the Chelsea's performance. Um, there was kind of increased protocols. You had to, um, f- you know, follow a video, watch a video and then pass a test um, to get in there. Um, there was increased sort of checks on the coronavirus. Um, I don't know why. Maybe, you know, Wembley just sort of... Uh, felt like they wanted to do even more checks, make even even more sure that nobody's carrying the virus into the stadium. Um, yeah, and then you kind of watch the game, Zoom press conference, and you're out. Um, yeah, it's not the most uh, grand experience ever, but you still sort of saw congratulations Chelsea written on the scoreboard, um, a final date booked, and um, yeah, I mean, a chance of silverware for Chelsea. I'll be going back to Wembley. Chelsea will be going back to Wembley on August the 1st. So, um, great day overall. Big week. Lots on. Um, next up is Chelsea at Anfield. And then, uh, you know, we've got the final game of the season against Wolves. So, um, it's a case of getting the job done now in the league. And then, you know, you can focus on glory after that. Cups. Uh, more chance in the FA Cup than Champions League, of course. And, yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I've got another date at Wembley booked, another fixture in the list, and, and that's probably only a good thing before we have a, 
a very short break before next season. We're getting there. It's close. Uh, and yeah, um, I'm still sort of enjoying it, surprised and finding strange experiences from the whole thing of, of working as a journalist during these times. Hope you're all staying safe still and uh, keeping well. And uh, yeah, wear a face mask uh, when when required by the government um, on the tube and uh, and on, in the supermarkets. It's not a big thing and uh, certainly something we all have to do when we go to these grounds. And hope you are you guys are doing it too. Anyway, all the best. And we are back from Wembley with Naz. Um, oh, gosh, it just sounds so weird, doesn't it? You know, being a journalist in that huge stadium and you're the only people in in there and the protocol seemed very serious. And were you worried that that sort of almost lack of atmosphere? And it did make me laugh that we got all the pre-match stuff and the post-match stuff in the ground uh, and what have you. We were, were you worried that it would stop being a spectacle? Uh, I'm kind of used to it now, aren't you? From the from the games that have been on since lockdown, I'm, I'm I'm used to it now. It was very very weird to start with. I mean, I know you don't listen with the crowd noise on. I do. It works for me. Um, but you know, each to their own. If you if you if you like listening to it with you know only listening to the people on the sidelines, I totally get that. I, I kind of need the ambient noise really to 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 get through it. Um, as soon as the game starts, I don't even think about it. I just think about watching those players on the pitch. I don't think about the other stuff at all. My mind is completely focused on the game. That's not the case for teams that I don't support. So, you know, watching Tottenham, Leicester or whatever, I find myself drifting a little bit. Um, but when Chelsea are playing, I've, I'm there 100%. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Um, yeah, I can, you know, my thoughts on the crowd sound. But yeah, once, once it's your team, I, I don't care whether it's on or off or whatever. It's intriguing to hear what goes on. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm I'm watching the game and, and I don't care. So yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. Um, but I, I did think that this was going to be a tough old battle, you know. But, I did. But Frank, I mean, I don't know what you think, but for me... When you get the opportunity, three at the back suits us very, very well with the players we have. But it's as it, you say, it's got to be the right games. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we absolutely caned Frank after the Sheffield United game and we said that he was tactically naive and inept and panicky and didn't seem to have a vision or a system that worked. And I think we were both quite down on him. Quite, and I think quite justifiably. I didn't think he covered himself in glory in that game at all. But... I think you have to give credit where credit's due. He thought about it. He took the intelligence from his team and, you know, he managed to communicate to the squad exactly what he needed them to do in the system that he wanted them to play. And he got it bang on. And actually, I think you have to look at Man United and say they got it wrong. They got their system wrong. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't didn't cover himself in glory this time. That's the way it works sometimes. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I think it really didn't. You know, the the worst thing for me, the worst thing was when Eric Bailly ended up going off. I thought, oh, no, that's going to change the formation. Because I thought if they go back to the formation they usually play... Mm it could be a problem for us. I mean, luckily, sometimes, I don't know, the rot sets in or one side has got the control of the game and they never got back in it. And I agree with you. I I thought it was a real masterclass from from Frank. I thought it was... um, From the beginning, we looked very comfortable and very assured and more assured and mature as a team than we have done for a very long time in the sense that they, it felt like we knew what our jobs were. 
and we knew what system we were playing and what we were trying to do. The press was brilliant. You know, the, everybody seemed to know when to go, when to press, when to not, where their positioning was, how to get back into shape. And I think you're right, the three at the back really, really helped that, being able to push the wing backs on. Reese James had his best game for a long, long time because he was had the freedom to maraud. And that's where his strength is. And I think that freed him up. You saw his shoulders loosen. You saw him, you know, being a lot more confident on the ball because he, he knew that he had the ability to, to maraud forward and he knew he was going to get cover from those three centre-backs. And from Jorginho, I thought, had a magnificent game as well. And, and so I think that from the beginning, we looked like the better team and we looked like the better team for 90 minutes. There were never any periods in the game where I thought that they were on top, to be honest. No, well, they weren't. I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And it was it was satisfying uh, in so many ways that with that amount of control actually came the goal. Because we've had this before against United this season where we've controlled great chunks of games and have ended up losing because we haven't taken chances. So getting a goal when we were on top, I think that that really caused a problem for United because I think they probably thought, oh, Chelsea, yeah, they've got the ball. We'll hit them on the counter. Both teams were trying to play on the counter a lot of the time. Um, But I thought Chelsea... And also the game management was fantastic. Do you know what I thought? Do you know what I thought? Sorry to interrupt, because just, you know, I, I thought we played like Sheffield United and they played like Chelsea in that game. Yep. You know, in the sense that we played with three centre backs, we marshaled their, you know, their front players extremely well, we pressed extremely well, we got an early ish goal. We capitalised on it, and once we were in front, there was never any chance of them getting back into it. So it was basically the Sheffield United game in reverse. That's what I thought. <laughs> I think that's a good call. Um, and also, everyone seemed drilled to within an inch of their life. And But wasn't that good to see that we've got intelligent players that can play to a system? Because that's that's what's been baffling me yeah. particularly since lockdown is why can't you play in this system why do you look so lost on occasion what, you know why don't you look like you know what your job is you know you are you know you are world class players you don't get to play for chelsea football club and, unless you're approaching world class status um, because we are an elite global team so you have to be bloody good to play in our team so why don't you look like you can do your job and yesterday it looked like they could and that's reassuring when we know the players that are coming in we know what we you know what we're going to do next season we know that it's going to be a different team this season nice to know that those players can play to a system when required yeah and i do think a lot of it stems from the defense um i think rudiger enjoys being uh, alongside zuma i think they complement each other um, I mean, neither of them were magnificent. No, they yesterday. weren't. But they, but they, they did were adequate. Job. They were. They did their job. They they were perfectly fine. They were both seven out of ten performances in a team of eight out of tens. Yeah. So I think I think it was fine. Um, there were moments where both players did well. There were moments where both players looked a little clumsy. Um, so I still think it's an issue. But you know, kudos for for you know for for only conceding uh, a penalty from from a, you know a goal from a penalty and not from open play because that's that against Man United was the big fear. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think that's right. We, we, we. See, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we possibly play with that three at the back again because it just worked so well. Um, I just think with the players we've got, maybe that's the way to finish the season off. Um, we'll, we'll see. Be interesting to see whether that works against a team that play a low block. And bear in mind that we only have two games left, one against Liverpool, one against Wolves, both of whom are attacking teams, yeah. both of who like to get on the front foot. Um, there's no reason to play four at the back against those teams. You know, no. you want to push their full backs back if you possibly can. You certainly don't want to let Trent Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson get on top of you. You want to push, you know, Alonso and Rhys James up the pitch to stop them getting forward. Um, so, yes, I can absolutely see us playing three at the back for the next two games at least. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, who was the standout performer for you? Um, I thought Kovacic. Mason. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I thought Mason Mount, Giroud, they're great. But for me, Kovacic was just like, they didn't even talk about him particularly. You I know. don't get it. Yeah, I thought he was unreal. I said that on social media. I thought he was unreal. Okay. Look, Mason Mount, I thought, had a really good game. It, it's really interesting to see how important he's becoming in this team and how much Frank Lampard relies on him. And Frank Lampard said publicly, I, you know, I, I put a lot of faith and trust and, and reliance on Mason Mount. And you can see he's going to be a huge player for Chelsea Football Club for years to come if he stays fit. And I think he's going to be a little bit like Frank Lampard was in the sense that you know, managers will look at Mason Mount and build their midfields around him. Um, and he looked at Frank Lampard in his early first year at Chelsea and you could never see that happening. Um, and then Frank Lampard became such a, a, an important part of the team. The thing about Mason is he's got to score more goals, has to score more goals. I mean, he was the beneficiary of an absolute nightmare from De Gea uh, yesterday where his goal sneaked in. But I just think he you know, had an opportunity to score um, and he blasted it over the bar. He's got to become more ruthless in front of goal to become the player he knows we know he is. But his pressing, his energy, his intelligence, his movement is is fantastic. But the player that made that team tick yesterday was Kovacic. I thought he was out of this world. Yeah, I, and there seems to be nothing he can't do. I, I kind of find it curious that he's sort of... Drifted he can't in score, and out. Kerry. That's no, what he, he can't. can't do. No, that's true. He can't. But, you know, he's drifted in and out of the, the team since coming back from lockdown. Had a few knocks, whatever. But he's such an intelligent player. And when he marauds through the midfield, it's just great. Because he's going, somebody tackle me. We'll take the foul. I don't care. But if you don't stop me, I'm going through to somewhere else. You know, he, he's fantastic. He really is. A, he's, and he's a, he works so well. He works so hard for the team. You know, he never stops. He's in perpetual motion, that guy. Yeah. yeah. He's, uh, he's so calm on the ball, so confident on the ball. He, in, in, a game, in a game where you've got such clever players like Man United have, you need to have some degree of possession. And he's extremely good at shielding, at moving the ball. And I think he worked really, really well with Jorginho. Jorginho was like a base player yesterday. You didn't really notice him. But if you'd have taken him out of that team, you would have really noticed it. Because he was just picking the ball up in front of the defence and moving it forward and transitioning. And I have said it time and time again. Nobody transitions the ball in our team like Jorginho. And that's been a huge issue for us this season. Getting the ball out of defence into midfield. And in that system with three at the back, he was able to pick it up and move it forward. Didn't do anything flashy, didn't play Hollywood balls, wasn't noticeable, but he kept it ticking. And I've always said that about Jorginho. You've got to play 
to his. If you're going to have him in the team, you've got to play to his strengths. And I think him and Kovacic worked fantastically well together yesterday with Mason Mount. I, I think that's a great analogy as the bass player because he does. He, he sets the tone. He sets the rhythm. You know, he is the beat. He is the heartbeat of that. Sometimes that, that, can, that Sometimes in the wrong system that can slow it down. Sometimes you know. Sometimes you know he can play the ball side to side. But you know, again, that's down to the system. And frankly, if you're not going to play that system with Jorginho, it's probably not going to work. He's probably not going to work in the team. But if you do play the system that suits him, he's such an important part of it because one of the key things if you're going to play a uh, a game that gets on the front book is being able to bring that ball out of defense hold possession in midfield and then move it forward to that front three if you're just going to play a long ball out of defense it's going to keep coming back to you so what players have you got that can aid that transition Jorginho is is so good at it and I think so many people miss it and they just say oh he slows the ball the game down oh he plays it side to side and he does on occasion but you've got to watch Jorginho to understand what he does yeah no I, I'd agree with that the, the other thing about the, the game that I thought was fascinating is that we won and not only did we win we destroyed United without Pulisic which I think has got to be a real tonic for the whole team because we don't want this to people saying, oh, Pulisic, he's the new Eden Hazard. No, he's not. He's the new Christian Pulisic. But <clears throat> also we don't want him to be the, the total talisman and nothing else can happen when he's not playing because we've been through that for years. So it was wonderful to see that destruction happen without him having to even come on. Well, what was interesting is that if he had played, I think he would have unbalanced the team. I think the, the the fact that you had Alonso and Rhys James basically as your wide players uh, in that team meant that, you know, the, the, I think if Pulisic had come in, it would have thrown it slightly off kilter. So I don't think he would have added that much. I mean, he, he, I think if he'd have come on as an impact sub, we might have got a couple more goals. Um, but in that particular game, Pulisic was not required. And when I didn't see him on the starting bench or starting lineup I'd feared to be honest but it was such a well-balanced team yesterday so it was interesting wasn't it that to think that you know yes he's probably been our best player yes he's probably our most impactful uh, attacking and dangerous threat of a player um, but he wouldn't have worked in that lineup yesterday no, I'd agree. And, and the last person I'd like to mention is, is Willy Caballero. Uh, he's such a character. He, he was so, it was so good to have somebody you could trust with his feet. Somehow, I trusted him every time the ball went to him. The only thing that he can't Apart do... Apart from the fact when he came out and flapped from the corner. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, the only thing he can't do is come for crosses. And that shows why we have to get that sorted, that whole area. Because... It causes chaos. When he came for that, I mean, you just it just sets everyone, you know, their, their teeth on fire. It's just oh, horrid. But, uh, but other than that, I thought he played pretty well with his feet. Um, didn't really have anything to do because they didn't come near us. Teeth on fire, is that like sex on fire? Probably. It, <laughs> it, it just came from nowhere. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. So, yeah, no, so look, I think Willie, it was interesting, wasn't it? It was interesting that he bought Willie in and not Kepa. Um, so you do wonder whether there are, where there's movement on the goalkeeper front, because I can't, I can't see us moving forward with Kepa as our number one goalkeeper next season. I just can't see it. So, but we'll see, we'll see, you know, whether he trusted him or not. 
Yeah, well, I, I think it's also the cup games. He brings William for cup games. So, I, I don't know. Can't read anything into it. All we know is we're only a few weeks away from finding all that sort of stuff out. So now we've got Arsenal in the final. That would be great, especially seeing everyone was saying, oh, it's going to be great. It'll be an all-Manchester final. Ha-ha. It's not. It's the pride of London again. Well, they'll have that Europa League hoodoo hanging over them, you know, when we absolutely destroyed them in the Europa League final in Baku. Um, they have done well against us in finals uh, in, in recent years, and they've done well in the FA Cup finals. Um, it, look, it's an interesting game. They, they played very well uh, at the weekend. Um, against City, I thought they were by far the better team. Played really well. It's going to be who turns up and who wants it more on the day, isn't it? I don't think there's not a huge amount of analysis we can do. They're pretty nope. good. We're pretty good. We, we're, cap- we're, we're capable of being terrible. They're capable of being terrible. I think it's very evenly matched. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. Right. Well, I think that kind of wraps up Wembley. It was a lovely old game, and uh, yeah, very happy with it. Mm. So now it's that time. It's first, worst, and best, which comes from one. Of our Irish supporters, Mr. Sean O'Connor. Hi guys, my name is Sean O'Connor. I'm 21 and from Dublin. I've been supporting Chelsea since I was a kid, mainly due to my two uncles who are supporters, one of which was born in the Queen Charlotte Hospital, not too far from the bridge. My dad had much interest in football at all, although he tried his best, so thankfully my two uncles were there to tell me what team to support. These are my first, worst and best Chelsea games. My first ever Chelsea match was versus Blackburn in January 2011 for my 12th birthday. We won 2-0 with Ivanovic and Anelka scoring in the second half. But my standout memory from that day is coming out of Fulham Broadway, walking up the Fulham Road until I turned left and saw the bridge for the first ever time. I couldn't believe it. It kind of looked like a spaceship to me at the time. I knew from that moment that this was my club and felt a huge sense of belonging to it, which I still do, thankfully. Definitely one of the best moments of my whole childhood and one I'll never forget. My worst Chelsea game was probably our 2-0 loss at home against United last February. I went over with my friend Paul and it was the first game back after the winter break. Mishy missed a huge chance in front of the shed in the first half and looked totally lost throughout the game, to be honest misplacing passes and being caught offside a few times. United then went 1-0 up just before half-time. In the second half, Zuma equalised before VAR overturned it and then Maguire put United 2-0 up 10 minutes later. Giroud replaced Michy and scored late on but VAR overturned it again for an offside. There was a pretty sour mood at full-time and the stadium seemed to empty quite fast. So yeah, although we did play quite well in spells, it just wasn't our night at all. It was pretty shit to celebrate like mad twice, only for VAR to say no goal both times. The best Chelsea game I've been to was probably Chelsea versus Bohemians here in Dublin last July. It was Frank's first ever game in charge and was played in Dalymount Park, a short drive from my house. Dalymount Park, the home ground of Bohemians, is regarded as the home of Irish football. It, it has hosted loads of Champions League and UEFA Cup games back in the day, as well as lots of FAI Cup finals. Up to 1985, Ireland played their home international games here, and regularly drew crowds of 30,000 plus. 
but Ireland now play in the Viva Stadium, or Lansdowne Road as they used to be called. Getting back to the match, just before kick-off there was a minute's applause for the Bowes and Chelsea fan Oren Tully, who passed away in 2018. You'll probably remember Oren from the Sky Sports My Special Day video in 2013, where John Terry invited Oren over to the bridge for a game, after which he met Jose, all the players and even Roman Abramovich. Oren was also a huge Bowes fan, so it was a lovely gesture to have the minute's applause to remember him. The majority of players that day were fringe or lone players, such as Drinkwater, Bakioko and Kennedy. However, Pedro, Caballero, Azpi and Zuma all did play, so it was really cool to see them up close again. It was also Billy Gilmore's first Chelsea senior game, so that was pretty cool to see as well. The match itself was pretty exciting, end-to-end stuff, and the atmosphere was great, as always, at a Bohemians game. Michi put us ahead 10 minutes in, and both teams had lots of chances. Bowes equalised late on from Eric Malloy, who was actually on trial at Bowes at the time. Although it ended a draw, personally, it was amazing to see Frank's and Billy's first games just down the road from my house. I passed my driving test too the next morning, so maybe that helped a little bit. So there are my first, worst and best Chelsea games. Hopefully we can push for fourth place now and have a decent shot at the FA Cup in the weeks ahead. Thanks a lot for having me on and all the best. Cheers. Well, there we go. A uh, younger fan, uh, you know, coming to the bridge for the first time, um, comes over from Ireland. Does it amaze you how many miles fans put in to come to the bridge? It's such dedication, isn't it? When you get these, you know, you always see around the ground, you know, Norwegian blues or whatever, the, the people who really, it, it's like a pilgrimage, isn't it? Oh, definitely is, yeah. I mean, I'm someone who's done a lot of miles to follow my team. I mean, Christ, I've been to Baku twice in the last couple of years, um, and that's a hell of a journey, uh, Moscow. and I mean, a lot of us have gone away, but if you do it regularly for league games, hats off, because not only is it, you know, a long old trip sometimes. I mean, I always used to see there was a, always a Belgian blues coach outside the games. Um, and you think, God, come on, co- a coach from Belgium for every game. <laughs> that's, that's commitment. <laughs> that really is. Um, and yes, of course, you know, obviously, you know, flights are cheap, I would imagine, into, you know, from, from parts of Ireland into Heathrow, which isn't very far from the ground. But still, it's, it's still a commitment to do that and a cost. So, yeah, I'm always very, very impressed with people that, that come and do that. Yeah, and I, I loved hearing him talk about, you know, seeing Chelsea over in Ireland when they played Bohemians, which was, I think, Frank's first game, wasn't it? And Billy Gilmore's mm. first game. They're important games, though, those games abroad, aren't they, for the fans who can't can't travel? It's It's got to be a, a real, you know, festival feel, hasn't it? It's, there's it something has, magical about I, it. Y- yeah, it, it, there really is. And I would imagine that if you were an American fan or an Asian fan or an Irish fan, uh, the team coming to your patch where you know where you can see them in your environment, and that must be a very special feeling. So, yeah, I can see why the, why, why the, why the team do that and why it's so important. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the, the fact that Sean, at the end of that, because he recorded it if, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he said, hopefully, you know, we've got a shot at the FA Cup in the weeks ahead. Well, Sean, we do. And <laughs> so, yeah, coming up, we have a, a very, very interesting old week, Liverpool Wednesday and then Wolves on Sunday. What do you think? How many points do you think we need out of these two games, Andy? And what are your feelings about them? Oh, 
Who knows? We need three points, don't we? So there's there's no there's no doubt that we've got to beat one of these sides. I mean, obviously, if if Leicester lose to Man United, we could probably get away with a point. Um, so uh, it's very difficult to say. Look, I just think we need to go out and try and win these games. I don't want to speculate on what we could get away with. I just think we need to go and try and win these games. Liverpool's going to be difficult, but as we've discussed, Liverpool are home and dry. It's their trophy lift uh, on Wednesday. Uh, so, you know, there's a the thought they could still be on the beach. Um, or they could be on the beach, as it, you know, in terms of their minds could be elsewhere. So hopefully this is a good time to play them. Um, but they'll be fired up with the fact that it's their, you know, their 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 opportunity to to lift the Premier League trophy in their empty stadium with piped in crowd noise. So who knows? Um, Wolves, I think, are beatable, but you know we have struggled against them. So they're two really difficult games. Um, so we'll see. I don't know is the answer to your question. <laughs> let's just hope we let's hope we win both games. All right, you're going to do a prediction on them both then. I think I think we could get a draw against Liverpool. So I'm going to go one all draw against Liverpool. Um and I think we can beat Wolves. So I'm going to go 2-0 Wolves. Okay, I'm going to go for two all with Liverpool. I agree with you. I think we could get a draw and I think we're going to beat Wolves by 1-0 and it'll be a bit scary. Um, sheet. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, why not finish the, the, that part of the season why not? with a clean sheet? Yeah, why, why not? Why not? Why not? Brilliant. All right, look, we're, we're out of time now. Um, thank you, as always, Andy, for chewing over this week's matches and what we've got to look forward to. Perhaps you'd like to give everyone the details, as usual, of how they can get in touch with us. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, uh, so if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow the podcast on at Chelsea Podcast. If you want to follow me, it's Mr. A. Saunders. If you want to follow Kerry, it's at Kerry Levy, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y. On Instagram, it's at The Chelsea Podcast. And uh, I'm on at One True Saunders. And if you want to follow Kerry, it's at Kerry Levy One, C-E-R-I-L-E-V-Y One. Perfect. Right. Well, we will see you all next week and uh, see you, Andy. As always, thank you. Been great chatting with you. Good stuff, mate. Yep. Uh, hopefully by next week we'll be in the Champions League. Ah, yes. Again. And then we've just got to look forward to winning it. There could be loads more so. podcasts coming up in the next few weeks. <laughs> there could be. <laughs> oh. All right, look mate. Look yourself, mate. And you. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you've got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.